Hi, I'm Fiona. I'm a mother, a birth keeper, a teacher, a woman's mentor, a body worker, a doula, and so much more. Hi, I'm Deborah. I'm a mother, a humanitarian worker, a yoga teacher, and a student doula. In this podcast, we bring together women who share their journeys to motherhood with us. We want women to share their doubts, their fears, what they've learned along the way, and their memories. Our goal is to inspire, inform, and empower. Each woman is unique and has a story to tell. We hope that you'll love these stories as much as we do. Welcome to the Becoming Mother podcast. Welcome everyone and hello Deborah. How are you doing today? Happy New Year, Theonie. I hope you had a lovely Christmas holiday. Yes, it was lovely. Did you enjoy your break? Yeah, it was so good to take it easy and pause and reflect uh, to be ready and fresh for the new year. I'm really excited to start this podcast again. I missed it, actually. <laughs> yes, I also missed it. And seeing your face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Same. In today's episode, we are chatting with Victoria, who is a midwife whom you know very well and that you've worked with um, many times. You've known her for, what, Absolutely. 15 years or something? Yeah, Yeah, something like that. And she was my midwife uh, for my birth, so both of you were there for, for my birth. So I, I wanted to invite her because um, what I really liked about Victoria is that she's so passionate about her job. And she really does it with her heart, uh, like most people that work in this field, I think. And she, in spite of being very pro-natural birth, unfortunately didn't have uh, that experience. But she explains to us how um, that shaped her as a midwife and that I found really interesting. I'm really looking forward to interviewing Victoria because she is so, as you said, passionate. But I love that she really, I don't know, holds people in such a frank and honest way. And she does call a spade a spade. Uh, and I think the times that I have worked with her, I also love that she is very hands-off, like in your birth. She's very hands-off and she really allows women to get in touch with their intuition, which, which you and I both agree are, is really valuable to become a mother. Yeah, that's very true, Theonie, and I hope our listeners will enjoy. Good evening, Victoria. Welcome to the Becoming Mother podcast. Uh, we are super happy to chat with you today and learn a bit more about your journey of becoming a mother. Thank you for having me. Can you start with uh, introducing yourself? Tell us your name, your age, uh, how many children you have, who your family is made of and where you live and what you do. So I am a mom of two. I have a boy and a girl. My son, Brian, is eight years old and my daughter, Lily, is five. And um, I live in Joburg. I work in Joburg, born and bred. I have a private practice and through my job, I know both Theoni and Debo because of either being my client or having worked with them for years and years as a doula, 
um, like Theoni, we met back in 2015 when I started working at Genesis Clinic. And we've done quite a number of births together over the years and had many interactions in and around Genesis, which is such a hub for normal birth in Johannesburg. And I think it's so lovely for me to actually interact on a platform like this with mummies because it's also nice for parents to know that, you know, as a midwife, I have a life outside of work. I also have to be a mom and raise my little ones. And um, yeah, Uh, what else can I tell you? I'm 31 years old and I have a a thriving business. That I have to run up as many hats and roles I have to wear as a, a mom and a midwife. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so, Victoria, how did you decide to become a mother? I mean, did you always know? Um, was it a surprise? Was it planned? If you can tell us a little bit about that. I think my want to be a mum was very intertwined with my want to be a midwife because growing up as a child, I was the eldest sibling, the eldest cousin, and I always looked after all the other little cousins and siblings and I always had that like instinct for nurturing. So becoming a mother was always something that I really wanted to do. And I can remember very clearly in my early 20s, a day where I sobbed my heart out to my mom and had said, you know, I'm going to be forever alone. I'm never going to meet anybody. I'm never going to become a mom because my job was keeping me so busy and my studies were keeping me so busy that uh, I, I just felt like I was going to be you know, you know, alone and not be able to fulfill that dream that I had. And it was actually just after I had finished my midwifery training in my studies uh, at the end of my third year that uh, my son was conceived. And it was not planned. It was a little bit of a surprise because very early the next year, I realized I was pregnant because I was having the weirdest food cravings and I couldn't understand that I was feeling the way I was feeling. And I did a <laughs> What were you craving for? <laughs> I was craving banana marmalade and cheese with mayonnaise. <laughs> it was so weird. Did, so, did you find it? <laughs> I I did. That's what I had in the fridge at the time. And I was like, why does this taste so good? I hate this normally, Uh, especially the banana marmalade. And um, I then did a pregnancy test, realized I'm very pregnant at that point. And I was like, shit, (laughs) I don't know if uh, my parents are going to be too happy about this because it was my final year of my studies. I still had to complete the whole year. And there was a lot of uncertainty around that time. And, you know, my uh, partner and then later husband was not expecting us to fall pregnant at the time. But everything seemed to work out really well. And I um, had my son in September that year. And I finished my studies the same year. And um, I ended up getting married like two years later. But very shortly, sort of around that time, I was starting to 
crave a sibling for my little one. And my second pregnancy was far more planned. I was like, I want a little one this time. This is when I want to feel pregnant. I stopped my contraceptives. And literally within six months, I was pregnant with my daughter. Uh, (laughs) I've probably, uh, and this people have said about me for other things I've done in my life, I've ticked every box of what you can possibly do in your life. And I've just sort of done that in my 20s. So even uh, to a midwife, it can happen to have a surprise baby. Oh, totally. (laughs) (laughs) I'm laughing because, you know, I think the one thing I experience so often as a pregnant mom was that I felt so clueless. And, you know, I always had this high expectation of myself. But, you know, Victoria, you've trained as a midwife already. Why do you feel so out of sorts and clueless? And it was actually advice that someone had given me when I had had my son at Genesis. And it was a midwife that was looking after me postnatally. And she had just said to me, like, you can be the best nurse, the best midwife in the world, but it's your first time being a parent. And you need to give yourself a little bit of like grace and say, you know what? It's okay if I don't know anything. I'm on this journey now for the first time myself. So I'm also like everybody else learning as we go along, literally having that vocational training as a mom. So it was interesting, you combine your last year of midwifery training with actually being pregnant and giving birth. So you had a very practical training at the same time. I I literally had the most practical experience that you could possibly have imagined. (laughs) Hands on. (laughs) (laughs) And can you tell us... um, what was your your journey um, when you decided what type of birth you wanted and how was it different for each of your births? Of course. With um, my son, when I had found out that I was pregnant, obviously I was very familiar with the processes in the South African government system because you go to your local clinic, you do your booking, and then you birth at the public hospitals. But I was very unfamiliar with the private sector because I'd never worked in the private sector at that point. And I ended up um, literally Googling midwife near me because I knew I wanted to be with a midwife because I myself was a midwife and I wanted to have midwife-led care and I was hoping that there would be an alternative for that in the private sector and lo and behold I like I think I hit on Genesis Clinic as the top search in the you know the results And that linked me with all the midwives that were practicing in and around Gauteng. I basically got a phone list and I was looking at the names and I had never had a recommendation for who was a good midwife to go with. And I just literally started phoning down the list. And a lot of the names on that list now I recognize because they're my colleagues. But back then I was like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, pick one. And one of the midwives, uh, Nicolette Barkhuizen, had a website at the time most of the midwives didn't even have a website 
and I looked at her profile and her qualifications and she had studied at the same university and I was like, I know what she trained as, so I'm going to go with this one. That's literally how I picked my midwife. She had literally just been to the same university that I did. And I went and I met her and I was like, cool, this is how we're going to go about this. I didn't know anything else and I really relied a lot on her to guide me through the process because as I said I just felt so clueless about like private maternity care in Gauteng and when it came to like selecting the way I wanted to birth from the get-go I was like I want to have a vaginal birth there is no such thing as just an elective cesarean section because we're made to birth I really believed in that and throughout my entire pregnancy my birthing team was so supportive of that I actually saw a couple of different gynees throughout the pregnancy because my original gynee was also pregnant at the time and by the time I was going to birth she was already on maternity leave so I then ended up with Dr. Mia at the end of the day who is a lovely doctor he is the sweetest human being that I've ever met I don't think I've ever seen that man angry and you know he is super professional but gentle and explains things in such a nice way so I can highly recommend him but he's always super busy because he's just so popular uh, as a gynae and when it came to like the birth itself you know with both my children I ended up with a emergency cesarean section and we'll get into that I think later when we talk a bit more in detail about my birthing story but you know with both of them there was never a question about like how I'm going to birth that was a given and the support I got even with my second pregnancy because my second pregnancy was just so different to my first with my daughter my pregnancy was much more challenging I was more nauseous I had lots of food aversions I actually lost quite a bit of weight during the course of the pregnancy because I struggled to eat and you know even when I was still working, like as I reached the third trimester pregnancy, I had actually fallen at work and that had put me in a lot of discomfort because I'd obviously heard something, but I ended up with lots of sciatica and eventually by 34 weeks, I was booked off medically for the remainder of my pregnancy where with my first pregnancy, I had literally worked until like 41 weeks and two days. My water had broken on that evening and then I just like called work to say, uh, hi, sorry, I'm not going to work the next day because <laughs> my water broke. And they were like, wait, wait what? <laughs> you were still working this far into pregnancy? So I had like kind of slipped under the radar specifically because I was a student at the time where like now when I look back on it, knowing what I know now, I really wished that I had taken some time off prior to the birth just to like rest and relax and put work aside and just mentally prepare for the birthing process. Where with my daughter... Yeah, and I mean, your job is, uh, is quite physically taxing. So to yes. be working until you, you give birth, that's uh, really something. 
And I was actually working at the uh, operating theater in one of our big state hospitals. So it was quite a busy ward and space to work in, you know, in the medical field. I don't know how I did it. I just somehow managed like snacks and rest. <laughs> Where with my daughter having been forced onto medical leave so early on in the pregnancy, it was very challenging in a different way because I was at home, I didn't know what to do with myself and I was feeling kind of crummy and I had my toddler running around. So I was really like, oh, what do I do? <laughs> so it was, you know, in contrast, very different. But with my daughter, having, uh, or tr let's put it this way, having the idea to do a trial of labor after cesarean section, trying for a VBAC. I think that idea was literally formulated on the day that my son was born. So I was like, cool, it's fine. I've had a season now, whatever. I'm doing a VBAC next time. Like, hold my beer, watch the space, I'm going to do it. And, you know, the, the plan for my second birth, even like selecting my midwife and selecting my birthing team was so different. My midwife the second time around was Tzu King. And I had actually told her more than a year before I'd fallen pregnant that she was going to be my midwife for that birth. So it was a very different. You were very prepared. <laughs> Way too for the prepared second for one. my own <laughs> So, so, so just for our listeners, it's really important that they, you know, if they're not familiar with what a VBAC is, and a VBAC stands for a vaginal birth after a cesarean. Um, and so women can absolutely have, like you say, a trial of labor uh, if they have had one cesarean in, in South Africa. Uh, so how was your pregnancy? Uh, you've told us a little bit about that. Um, and how how did you prepare? So obviously, first time, yes, you were working quite a lot and very busy. Uh, and second time, you did have more time available. But how did you prepare mentally, emotionally for postpartum? Did you prepare? I think in terms of preparation for my pregnancies, you know, my first pregnancy just went so well the first time around that I didn't really put too much thought and effort into it. I was really just kind of going with the flow where like the preparation for the birth, like I was insistent on certain things to happen. Like I insisted on having a doula with my birth. I insisted on having my partner with me on the day I wanted to labor at a very specific. So my plan was very much, sort of centered around how I wanted the birth to go. And I know as a first-time mom, you get a lot of pressure from family members to be present at your birth. Like I remember my mother-in-law and sister-in-law and everybody wants to be at the birth. And it's like, it's not fun to have a crowd. I can tell you it's that It's not much. a party. No, it's not a party <laughs> event. You know, <laughs> as, a, as a midwife, I tell my clients, your baby was not made in front of a crowd. You are going to birth your baby in the same kind of private environment as this little one was conceived because that's the kind of privacy you need to birth your little one. Um, where, you know, it came to postpartum. I think the only thing that I really prepared for postpartum was breastfeeding. 
I was very insistent on breastfeeding being something that I wanted to tackle and that I was not going to give up even if it got challenging and I really made sure to do my research. So even as a midwife, having done midwifery, I still went and did my research and asked my questions and, you know, I still had quite fresh knowledge from antenatal classes that I had attended but I would still recommend parents to put that on their like number one priority list for the pregnancy in terms of preparation for the birth. Know about the process, know how it works, what to expect, because that really helps with planning. With my daughter, I think I was more prepared for her birth because of the experiences that I had with my son. Because I did battle a little bit with breastfeeding the first time around. And the second time around, I was like, I'm not going to struggle with the same problems. So I'm going to get some information about how to tackle this in a better way so that I don't land up in the dumps and then have to pick myself up. Mentally and emotionally, I think I didn't really put too much effort into that. But I've often seen as a midwife, you know, moms kind of avoid the topic of birth and they avoid postpartum because they just want to approach it as like a happy-go-lucky, wing-it point of view. And that's sometimes the worst approach that you could possibly have because when things end up not going exactly according to how you dreamt it would be, you end up with a lot of disappointment, there's negative emotions, and you struggle a lot from a psychological and emotional point of view. And that can really impact a lot on your uh, birthing process and on your postpartum process because we know that you know there is such a deep connection between what happens physically in your body and what's going on mentally and emotionally. So, you know, this will differ a lot for, you know, people from person to person. Some journal about it, some talk about it, some attend classes to get information. Other people might need, um, you know, some guidance, whether it's through physical exercises or coaching to actually get them to a point where they understand like there is a lot more to birthing and pregnancy and the postpartum than just like, oh, okay, let's plug a baby in and breastfeed or I'm just going to push the baby out. You know, they just kind of slip out by themselves. If only. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, It, it would make it a very easy process. And how how were your birth experiences? Because you did mention that uh, you you did have a, a cesarean, but that that wasn't your wish. So can you tell us um, how did everything unfold for each of uh, of the birth that you had? So specifically with my son's birth, um, I had seen my midwife the previous day for a routine checkup. And because I was already over 41 weeks pregnant at the time, I consented to a stretch and sweep because I really wanted my baby to come at that point. I was so tired of being pregnant and I really believed that my little one wasn't going to come. 
and we did a stretch and sweep and I was feeling kind of crampy throughout the rest of the day. Let's just pause. What does it mean for those who are listening to us? Oh, a stretch and sweep. So a stretch and sweep is like a vaginal examination where your care provider can then mechanically stimulate your cervix to facilitate a release of prostaglandin, which is the hormone that is responsible for softening and ripening your cervix so that it can more easily thin out and dilate. Uh, and it's something that is preferably only done when you are way after your due date as a more mechanical way to induce labor without the use of medications to bring about those contractions, so those induction agents that we use. Okay, thanks, Victoria. No problem. Um, uh, so my waters broke around midnight that evening and I called my midwife and I remember her being a little bit like, why are you calling me for this? You know, the way the, her tone of voice sounded, but I know now as a midwife, you know, when someone says, oh, my water's broke, you're like, okay, cool, go to bed and sleep and then call me later when you actually have pains. Um, but she basically just said, okay, cool, monitor the water for me, is baby kicking, and then take two panadas and hop into bed. And I was like, a very good patient. I followed instructions to the T, and then I went to bed. And then probably around four or five-ish in the morning, I started feeling quite crampy, but nothing major to run home about, just like those early kind of labor pains. And around nine o'clock in the morning, she said to me, okay, I think it's time for you to come in. Let's just assess and see what's happening with baby. Because you know that if the waters have been broken for a long time, we need to give you antibiotics and things like that. So I was admitted to Genesis by like nine, 10 o'clock that morning. And around 12 in the afternoon, we had then started Um, the antibiotics, and I had gotten some induction agent to start getting my contractions to just pick up a little more. So basically just to augment what is already there. And I was really just going nowhere slowly. <laughs> I really, um, I think, labored quite well. And I was bouncing around on my ball and moving along. And my doula was massaging me, you know, whether it was my back or my shoulders or my feet. It was so delightful to be rubbed so much because I'm very, um, I feel very loved when I get touched. So I, I very much enjoyed that. And I didn't really feel like I struggled with contractions or needed pain relief. And... Um, By like 5 p.m. that afternoon, uh, they were quite concerned over, you know, the progress of my labor and that, you know, I was literally not having anything change for like almost the last 17 hours, you know, from when she had assessed me the previous day, my water's breaking, and then by the time they made the call. So then the... A call was made to do a cesarean section because I was in labor. I just wasn't progressing. And I think for her, you know, now also looking at it as a midwife, she may have been concerned that baby was just not fitting well through my pelvis. 
So Brian was born, and it was not like an emergency cesarean section where it was like a dire emergency. It was more just like a very calm, you know, controlled environment. And we welcomed my little one. I think it was like two minutes past, uh, you know, five that afternoon. So that was a very like nice, gentle experience. Where with Lily, I I had actually developed a kidney infection in my last weeks of pregnancy and ended up Ouch. being admitted. Yeah, it's very painful. It's very painful. You. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so I ended up being admitted at Bedford Gardens Hospital and I was on antibiotics for that entire week and very strong pain relief because they tried to keep you as comfortable as possible. And when I was discharged, I remember phoning Sue, uh, my midwife, and saying to her, you know, something just doesn't feel right. You know, I, I was just so achy and so sore beyond what is normal, and it was just constant pain. So I said to her, you know, Sue, I think we really need to bail out. And it was called, and the operation was scheduled, and the team was gotten together. And when we did the operation, when they were actually opening me up, my uterus practically just tore open because my lowest segment of my uterus had disintegrated from the infection and it had thinned out so much that even when they needed to like stitch me back up, uh, Dr. Sikokani, who was my gynae the second time round, was literally, like she said, like she would put the stitch in and the stitch would just like slip through the tissue because it wouldn't be able to hold on to it. It just had like oh, gone wow. to, you know, like sponge almost. So my, my cesarean the second time round was much more of an emergency procedure. And normally a cesarean section takes about 45 minutes to an hour. And I had been in theater for about an hour and a half. Wow. And it was just because they had struggled. Yeah, they had struggled to stitch me back up with that procedure. So the, the cesarean section, I think, second time around for me was a little bit more traumatic because I was a lot more anxious about it. I didn't want another cesarean. And I was literally scared. I, like, I have a picture of me sobbing before the anesthetist is about to do the spinal on me. Not because I'm scared of the needle, because working in healthcare, you know what to expect. But it's just when you are the patient, it's not a nice experience at all. And even when they were starting to like stitch me back up, normally they'll take like the uterus out of the tummy to clean it out. And when they did that, I could like feel almost this like deep pressure sensation on my belly button. And I started panicking and feeling like I could like feel the operation. And they actually ended up needing to sedate me so that I could have a less uh, stress. Let's go with a less stressful experience yeah. at that time. So, the so you were completely asleep during the operation? Or? Um. I I did uh, fall asleep during the operation the second time around. When I woke up, you know, that's when everyone kind of explained what happened. I think what's so important about, 
you know, this experience that I had is that even though my births were nowhere near what I had in mind for my birth plan, like nowhere near, and my second birth was quite intense. I wouldn't go as far as to say traumatic, but it was really an intense experience that despite all of that, I'm like, go team go for normal birth because having a cesarean section is hard. Having your birth plan go completely south, even harder because you had your dream set on this like beautiful like picturesque birth and then all of a sudden the doo-doo hits the fan and the doo-doo's all over the walls and for me as a midwife having had that experience myself where I had a lot of complications and still be able to say like trust me you want to have a normal birth and be able to support that and not to like you know, scare moms out of having a good birth where they can make informed decisions about their care and where they can have autonomy over their own birthing experience. And that's the message that I always want to get across because I know when I talk to people about my birth story, then they're always very quick to jump to like, see, that's why I want to have an elective Caesar. I don't want to have that experience. And I'm like, hold your horses. There's a lot more to this than just a difficult birthing experience. Uh, Victoria, I mean, having had that experience and myself, I also wanted a natural birth and a home birth. And we've done my story on um, a, a former episode. I also ended up having an emergency Caesar. I had fresh meconium in the waters. Yeah. And... I find, for me, I am able to support women who, when they do end up having a cesarean section, I, I'm able to empathize and they're really able to get, oh, okay, if you were able to get through it, well, then I'm sure I can get through it. So for you as a midwife and having had two emergency seizures, not die emergency, but we know what you mean, um, yeah. do you feel like it's made you a better midwife and how? I definitely think so, and I think you touched on it so well. You're able to empathize with the person you are caring for a lot more because if you have gone through that experience, you're going to look at it with different glasses because you've had firsthand personal experience of that situation. So I definitely think it has made me more understanding and empathetic of when things do go south and how important it is for us as midwives to understand that the role we play in birth is not just about having a normal birth, having a cesarean section, let's have a healthy mom, let's have a healthy baby. It's about all those small little interactions that you have with your clients and that you have with expectant parents. And that every single one of those little interactions can have long-term lasting effects. Sometimes the little things you can say to someone, they're going to remember for the rest of their life. Because that little thing that you said had a profound impact on them. So I definitely think it, it uh, alters the way that you care for moms. And, and I also find that I'm, I'm such a, uh, an advocate for physiological normal birth, as you are, that even more so, I, yeah. I want people to have that because, 
you know, a cesarean section is major abdominal surgery. Um, and a lot of women in South Africa, it's just like, oh, I'll just have a cesarean section. And it's like, no, it's major surgery. They cut through seven layers of your body. Like it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, so it's really good for, for women to understand that to, you know, you and I that have had cesarean sections to say, we still believe that natural birth is really great for baby, really great for mom, um, on so many levels. And yet if it's still not possible, that's okay too. There's also babies get to choose, um, how they want to, because, you know, it's their birthday at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree. It it really does make you an advocate more for normal births because you know that with a normal physiological labor and birth, the benefits are numerous to mum and baby. Sure, there are risks involved, but there are risks involved in absolutely every single process. I mean, you could trip over a rock today and crack your skull open. Like we can we can live for the what ifs. Or we can look at the majority of evidence that says that this is a, you know, safe process for moms and babies to go through. They have literally been doing it for centuries. Like, let's keep doing the good stuff without doing harm. And do you share with the, the moms you support that you had a, a cesarean? I do. Um Sometimes clients will very directly ask me about how did I birth and, you know, what was my experiences. And I try to be very honest with them. I think, you know, you also experienced that about me, you know, as your midwife. I'm very honest with people. I rather like shoot straight from the hip, call a spade a spade so that you get a very realistic view of you know, the world out there. And it's the, the same when I talk to clients about my birth. I don't try to downplay things necessarily, but you can give them a brief overview of your birthing experience. It doesn't always have to be in such depth unless people ask questions. Because, I mean, I've got no secrets to hide about. And I think it's important for us to talk about the good and the bad because moms – That birth, whether you have a vaginal birth, a cesarean birth, a vacuum birth, it doesn't matter. It's birth. And all of those experiences are very valid. And if we then start to say, oh, but you had a cesarean section, oh, you're not worthy, we're starting to invalidate people's experiences. And that person may have gone literally through hell to bring their baby earthside and they are just too grateful that both like themselves and their baby are alive and well. So we need to validate our clients' experiences and it starts at home. You need to validate friends, family, colleagues before you get to a point where you are like validating your clients and validating other people that you meet within the birthing community. Yeah, thank Lovely. you for saying that because uh, I did have friends who had a cesarean section um, not by choice and they they tell me, but can I say she was born, you know, although somebody, you know, operated and took my baby out of my belly. And I was like, yes, your baby is born. What do you mean? Yes. And 
And I think there's a lot of shame around it when you are very pro-natural birth and everything. I think the women who did not have uh, the natural birth they, they wish for, they're very embarrassed to talk about it. Yes, definitely. There's a lot of judgment in the birthing community in the world as a whole. I mean, when you look at social media, there is a lot of, I think, awareness being raised on how we talk about birth and the language that we use around it because we live in 2022. We can't just go around calling everyone a mommy and a daddy and we can't go around calling this birth a birth and this one's not a birth. Like we really need to look at how us as care providers approach birth, talk about birth, encourage birth, discourage birth, because that has a lasting impact on our greater community. And we are now faced with things that might not have been a thing 30 years ago. But the world has changed and things have changed. And it's important for us to become more inclusive and not exclusive in the way that we care for our clients. Absolutely. You are so well spoken. <laughs> we can just I, I, listen to you. We don't need to, to say anything. <laughs> I think for me, it's it's a very like personal thing to be inclusive in the way that you care, because in my career, I've also met with a lot of different people from a lot of different, you know, walks of life, and who have come from different cultures, different religions, different backgrounds, and who have different needs, and you know. When I talk to clients, I tell them straight up front, like, I'm going to be your midwife, but I'm not just going to vomit a textbook at you. I'm going to be giving you real life experience. I'm going to be giving you mom experience. And we're going to be looking at your individual needs. It's not just about, like, blanket care. And specifically now with June, I don't know if I can bring it up, but like it's Pride Month and there's also a lot about men's mental health awareness because it was Men's Mental Health Awareness Month before. And those are two like areas that are very neglected in healthcare because everyone kind of looks at men and go like, oh, shame, you'll be fine. Just, you know, have a beer and be okay about it. And we know with pride this month there are many people in birthing that have different sexual orientations and genders and we even have to be sensitive about that when caring for those clients because again that's where your language and your approach to birth becomes incredibly important and that's where inclusivity is um, really important because like even when it comes to like men's mental health we deal with dads as well we have to look after their mental health they are also going through a massive life change and as a midwife yes. you know, we support them through that process because they also have a lot of questions we can't sit in a consultation with a couple and just have this unilateral view where we only speak to mom we want to speak to dad as well we want to speak to both parents because eventually they are both going to raise this little one 
Speaking about partners, um, how do you balance your life as a mom and as a midwife? So, as I said before, I've practically done everything in my 20s. So, I um, separated from the father of my kids in 2017. And I was a single mom for four years. And that was around the time I had actually started my private practice as a midwife. So, I really had my hands full because I'd had a little baby. Uh, my daughter was literally uh, under the age of a year when I had started my private practice. And, you know, now they're so used to, you know, me having to work and the way that I work. And I was actually very lucky last year to have met someone really special. And we've actually just celebrated our one-year anniversary. And Lovely anniversary <laughs> thank you <laughs> he is actually such an awesome dad to my kids because their biological dad is not very involved in our lives at all but you know what I have learned through that experience in my relationship is that it's not necessarily your biological dad that birthed you that will raise you it's the dad that raises you that has the most profound you know impact on their lives because i can see you know from having been a single parent for 4 years to being in a you know very stable relationship again for the last year that they have just thrived and grown from you know his input as a dad in the relationship beautiful Mm. And what uh, do your kids say about um, you being a midwife? Do they ask you questions? My children are very well versed in birth, if I can put it like that. Um, whenever I get a phone call and, you know, they know it's for my work phone, they'll be like, are you going to a birth now? And I'll be <laughs> like, yes, I've got a mummy in labor. And they'll actually ask me questions like, is she having contractions? Did her waters break? You know, very much the question <laughs> any midwife could be asking her client when in labor. And they like to tease me about the panadas in a warm bath because I do advise that to a lot of mummies when they go into labor. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, when I've come back from a birth, you know, they'll ask me, how did it go? Or you know, oh, I can see you're really tired, mommy. I think you should go rest. So my kids are, Sweet. you know, so familiar with pregnancy and birthing and breastfeeding. To them, it's not weird at all. And my daughter, she's actually so cute. Since about, I'd say, the age of two or three, she's actually said that she wants to be a midwife when she grows up. So I actually bought her a gift last year for her fourth birthday that was this like little nurse outfit, but it was a pediatric <laughs> nurse because it came with a little baby doll with a nappy that you could change. And I just thought like <laughs> if I wanted to encourage her to be a little midwife, that's how I would do it. <laughs> oh, I actually remember the story just now. Um, this, you know, Brian was so little. He was probably also like three or four. And we were at a friend of mine's house. She's also a doula. And, you know, a doula's kid and a midwife's kid being well-versed in birth. They were playing 
and we just like heard funny sounds from the room, so we went to check. And lo and behold, um, her daughter was pretending to be a pregnant mom who's birthing, and my son was delivering <laughs> the baby. <laughs> and I actually have a video of it on my phone. So my son was birthing a baby as a toddler. <laughs> They're so cute. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I must yeah. actually look for that video somewhere on uh, my computer because I remember we were just like sneakily recording this because we were like, <laughs> only a midwife and a doula's child will play like this. <laughs> and it, it's so cute because like once the baby was now born, she immediately took the baby and put the baby to a chest and was pretending to breastfeed. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. <laughs> So you can retire, Victoria. <laughs> out of the mouth of babes, right? Yeah, and so lovely to to make it normal. Yeah, you know that it's actually that is you know that's actually normal. It's normal to breastfeed. It's normal to birth yeah. your baby physiologically. It's not anything yeah. strange. Another client of mine, she's in the medical field, and she's mm -hmm. had three uh, physiological births, and her son is now twelve, and they were. Um, you know, with friends at a school and they were driving home and the the father is actually a gynecologist. Oh. And so this son who was born at home, third baby at home, you know, naturally, and he said, oh, you know, like, I don't know how, how exactly the conversation came out, but he was like, no, I was born out at home. And he was like, what? He was like, yes, I was born at home, not in a hospital. And he's like, oh, but how did that work? Because he's thinking now operation. He says, like, no, I came out my mom's vagina. And he was like, what? Are babies actually born like that? So, I mean, it's very interesting how, you know, when, when people aren't in the field, I mean, my son is also very well versed in birth. And as soon as I start talking about birth, he's like, he's 15 almost. And he's like, oh, mom, please, I actually, I can't. Oh, <laughs> At that awkward age. Um, but, yeah, it's yeah. lovely for it to be, to be, for, yeah. For it to be yeah, normal and natural. I yeah. think especially, like you mentioned just now, for our sons, you know, they are one day going to be the dads and partners that support, you know, their partner and their birthing choices. And I think that, to me, is a success as a parent. If I, I can give anyone any advice about parenting, it's to treat parenting like you are raising someone's future partner, mom, dad, sister, and you are equipping them with life skills to be functional adults. We don't have to just pretend like kids are, you know, quiet and need to sit in the corner and, you know, speak when spoken to. You want them to one day be well-functioning adults who will be able to you know, do things and capable. I mean, that that's the, the only thing that I would want is to, you know, in years to come to see my children grow up to be good, you know, and capable, confident. Yeah, I mean, I always say to my couples, it's um, you're not raising children, you're raising a future adult. So what kind yes. of adult do you want them to be? Absolutely. Uh, which is exactly Absolutely. what you're saying. Yeah. So, so Victoria, as we, we begin to end off, what words of wisdom would you like to share with moms that are becoming parents, uh, which you wished you had been told before? 
I think it's something I, you know, often, you know, strive to say to my clients when we're in consultations or at births. It's not about doing the right or the wrong thing. It's about trusting your ability as a parent to know what to do. You know, that little voice in the back of your head that you hear that whispers to you or when the hairs on your back of your neck stand up. Like that is your intuition. And you need to listen to it. If you are not going to listen to your intuition, you are going to struggle because you're going to literally fight biology, fight nature. I, I, I really, you know, wish that parents know that they are not doing a bad job. They are literally doing their level best on a daily basis and that they can just be confident and believe in themselves. And if you don't know, like have a good support system around you, whether it's family or friends or colleagues or even professionals, find the right people for the right job and surround yourself with that. If you are planning on having like a normal physiological birth, surround yourself with people that do normal physiological births. Don't then expect to like go to a gynae and then think you're going to get all the warm, fuzzy feelings. Like it's going to be medical, it's going to be cold, and it's going to be straightforward. So like if you know what your plan is, stick with it and go to the people that are experts in that specific field or in that specific direction. Don't be afraid to like seek more knowledge or ask questions and ask difficult questions. I mean, sometimes parents are so scared to ask their doctor any questions because, you know, you know, what if I, you know, waste their time? I mean, if a doctor doesn't want to answer your questions, they don't. There are some midwives that will even give you bad advice. Be very careful with who you surround yourself with. It can really yeah. affect your journey. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you talk about intuition like that, I'm just thinking and reflecting back on your story um, that you were telling about how you just knew. You spoke to your midwife and you said, I think we're calling it. Like, I can feel there is something really wrong here. And to trust yourself, especially because that's not what you wanted. It's not what you prepared for. And as a midwife and, you know, wanting the VBAC, it's like, it's a hard call, but you knew deep down inside enough to go, I know that this is not what needs to happen. And I know for the sake of my child and myself, we need to do a cesarean section. So it's really yeah. lovely to be able to acknowledge that, you know, you, you knew what to do and mothers know, and it's to trust mothers. Amen to that. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's a lot of fear around birth, when, especially when it's the first one. Um, and there's a, an easy tendency to trust doctors, thinking, well, they're the professionals, so they know. Uh, so I'm happy that you said that actually the most important is to listen to your intuition mm -hmm. and to follow it and to make sure that you surround yourself with the people who can help you achieve what you wish for. Yes. That, that was uh, really inspiring. Thank you so much, Victoria, for sharing your story with us. We loved um, having this conversation with you. 
And um, yeah, um, do you have any last words that uh, you want to share? Honestly, thank you for the opportunity to chat with you guys. It's always so nice on a more public forum to share your thoughts about birthing um, and a way to just connect with, you know, expectant parents or even parents who have already birthed and just even be able to just validate some of those thoughts and feelings that they are having um, because you – I think touch on it so well, there's a lot of fear and doubt around birth and a lot of it's facilitated by, you know, the community around you. And when you sometimes just meet with the right person that like ticks all your boxes and pushes all your buttons and you're like, wow, this is actually really profound. Let me start doing some further investigation. Like if I can just sometimes, you know, open someone's mind to other options out there, then I feel like I've succeeded. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Victoria. <laughs> Thank you so much. Wow, that was really um, filled with so much information. I think for our listeners, especially women who are pregnant or women who are wanting to become pregnant, I think it was filled with so many good insights into you know choosing a caregiver uh, what kind of care do you want I think it was wonderful I really enjoyed that what did you think Deborah? I loved it and when I listen to Victoria it always makes me want to become a midwife <laughs> and, um, and and what I really liked about what she said is that even though you are very prepared you have a birth plan you did all your readings and you studied as a midwife and you re read everything you could read about birth in textbooks. At the end of the day, what matters is that you listen to your intuition. And I, I really love that because I think motherhood is all about listening to your intuition. Um, so we've, in, the in the previous episode, we spoke a lot about how important it is to be prepared. And now it's really about being prepared, but... If things don't unfold the way that you were hoping for, listen to yourself, listen to your intuition, and you will know what to do. Yeah, and, and you really do. We absolutely know what to do. So I hope that all of us, all of you listening, will rate the podcast, and please let us know your thoughts. What did you like about it? Um, what were your takeaways? Would be lovely. And uh, to rate us on whatever platform you, you're listening on, whether it's Spotify or Apple, whatever it is. Um, yeah, and let us know. And next episode will be Lisa, who is a, a doctor who works um, in maternity. And um, what's very special about Lisa is that she's a doctor and she also had a home birth, which is quite unusual in her field of work. And what's even cooler is that she is also training to become a doula. I, I love what she says about it, that when people say, but aren't you too qualified to be a doula? And she said, well, I will be the best qualified doctor because I will know how to doula. <laughs> <laughs> Not knowing what to expect from a, a, a sort of pain point of view was maybe what I was concerned about. But yes, you're, you're right, those the things that can go wrong in birth, but I think also just 
bringing it back to yourself and realizing, you know, you are low risk if you put in the preparation as well, all those sorts of things. And knowing that, yes, if a complication arises, your care provider is trained, you know, to deal with that. Thank you for listening to the Becoming Mother podcast. We hope you felt inspired, touched, and that you learned something. Feel free to share the love and share this episode with your sisters, your mother, and your friends. Follow us on social media. We are on Instagram and Facebook, becomingmother.podcast, and you can email us at becomingmother.podcast at gmail.com. If you feel called to share your story, reach out to us.